0: Hello, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, sense or nonsense. I'm joined by return guest Sean, one of the hosts of the Caption Life podcast to discuss the big ideas of Moon Knight, episode five and episode six, the finale. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. Link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am once again joined by Sean Winningham. He is a film and TV reviewer for Comic Watch and one of the hosts of The Caption Life, a podcast about the impact of comics and pop culture on life and society. Welcome back to the show, Sean.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Last time you were here, we were reflecting on the year 2021 in the MCU, and it's hard Mm -hmm. to believe that we're already in May of 2022. (laughs) Yeah. And we're here today, of course, to talk about Moon Knight. But first, I got to ask you about the most recent MCU installment, Doctor Strange and the (laughs) Multiverse of Madness. And I don't want to get into spoiler territory in case folks haven't had a chance to see the film yet. But without getting into spoilers, what did you think of the movie?
1: You know, I I have to first say that... um, For those who know me, they know I am not a fan of Doctor Strange as a character. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I I don't, not that I hate the character or anything like that. I just, I've never had uh, an interest in the person at all whatsoever. Um, So the movie already has like something going against uh, itself for me. Um, but I will say that, you know, Ben Dick Cumberbatch, you know, has done a fantastic job of playing the role. I think he fits it really well. Um, the first movie that came out in 2016, the visual effects were, you know, fantastic. I think it's one of the best that we saw in the MCU at that time. And with this new movie that came out with Doctor Strange's the Multiverse of Madness, I got to say, it's probably one of the most impressive movies that I've seen for the MCU because it took a lot of risks and it is a very different movie than what we usually see in the MCU. And the fact that it definitely fits in the horror genre, um, but it's also at a different tempo and a different um, structure than some of the other MCU movies. Cause I know that I've heard from a lot of people on social media that have said that they think that Marvel movies kind of follow a similar structure Mm -hmm. in all of its movies. And so they feel like it kind of gets a little bland at that point, which I, I don't agree with that. Completely, but I completely understand where they're coming from at, at the same time. And I think this movie kind of breaks that mold. And so I really enjoyed this movie just in the fact that it tried to do something very different. I think it really worked well and they executed it very well for the most part. So I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's going to be one of my favorite MCU movies, um, not just for Phase 4, but, you know, probably in the top 10 of the MCU movies that we've had so far, easily.
0: Sean, I agree so much with everything that you're saying. Like the fact that they went and took some big swings creatively and in terms of the mm-hmm. visuals and and the tone in this film, I think really really paid off. And uh, mm-hmm. if people haven't had a chance to already listen, I did a first impressions episode of Multiverse of Madness and intend to obviously have more conversations about it with guests on the show moving forward, but After watching it again a second time, I've kind of uh, doubled down on that take. And (laughs) speaking of taking some risks and playing around with structure to some extent, I guess we will discuss, let's talk about Moon Knight. So before the show is now over, we're going to talk today specifically specifically about episodes five and six. But before going into the show, if you can put yourself in that headspace, what were you expecting? out of Moon Knight? You know, Moon Knight
1: was one of the characters from the Marvel comics I'm not too familiar with. And so I have to say, this is one of the few properties that I went in completely blind in having very minimal uh, knowledge about the character. And so, of course, before any movie or show comes out on a character, I try to read at least some of the comics just to kind of get a sense of who they are and everything. Um, and I did that, you know, Moon Knight was no exception in that I read the, um, the most popular one I keep hearing about is the, um, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but Lee Meyer, um, that wrote Moon Knight. I think this was in 2012 or 2015. I can't remember what year. Um, but after reading that and, um watching Moon Knight it's um i think they did a really good job of capturing the essence and spirit of Moon Knight and so when i read the comics and going into the show i was expecting to see them explore themes of disassociative identity disorder um i was expecting them to you know with all the trailers that we've seen and everything like that we obviously saw Moon Knight and i think there was a lot of speculation about how Dark it was going to be in terms of the violence and mm-hmm. everything like that. And so I, I, I will say this is that when when they were talking about that, I was kind of skeptical at first because I said it's still a Disney Plus show. Um it's still Disney. They're not going to get that dark because I think some people were going to com- were comparing it to it might be as as dark with the violence as their devil from Netflix. Right. And I just didn't see that at all especially since um, Daredevil was rated tvma mm-hmm. um and so i wasn't expecting that but then when <laughs> disney came out and said that all the uh, defender saga was going to show up in disney plus i was like okay so maybe this might be <laughs> changing a little bit right. so so i was really curious to see how they're going to handle um the violence with what i've heard as well too um but I, w- I was definitely expecting a you know great performance from oscar isaac just because he's just has done a fantastic job in any role that he's done with Poe Dameron and in, in Star Wars and um, with his latest performance in Dune. And I remember I first saw him in uh, the movie Robin Hood with uh, Russell Crowe. He actually played mm-hmm. uh, King John in that one. That was the first time I ever saw him on screen and and he did a fantastic job in that one. He was like not well known at that point at all, but I thought he did a great job I think he was only on screen for like maybe 10 or 15 minutes or something like that, like not long at all. But um, but I was expecting, you know, just a, a great performance from Oscar Isaac, especially if they're going to go with the disassociative identity disorder route that right. he probably was going to have a challenge in taking on two completely different personas without, you know, changing, you know, his physical appearance or anything like that. Yeah,
0: Oscar Isaac's performance is truly one of the, most standout things about this show for me, but what about mm-hmm. for you? What would you say are the the main things that you liked about the show, and if anything, what left you wanting a little bit?
1: Yeah, so um, again, I think one of the the stellar things about the show is Oscar Isaac's performance and how well he did Stephen as a comedic relief, and um, I think the word I'm looking for is you know kind of. Naive, but like an innocent and mm-hmm. like an innocent naivety that he has. Um, and I think he did a great job of uh, portraying that. And then, on the flip side, being Mark, who's in the more serious and more intense role, and being able to flip back and forth um, and doing those things in the same scene, I think was um you know, just really impressive by a lot of means. I think all the people that they've had in the different rows, like, different roles, like Ethan Hawke as Arthur Harrow. I think he did a really good job of playing a villain that was more of a cult leader. And and I got to say, I, I was really surprised that they didn't go with the typical route of a villain who is relatable and understandable, <laughs> like yeah. what they did with Thanos and Wenwu and Shang-Chi and all that. Um, I think in, in this one, it was a little bit more clear cut that this guy is clearly on the wrong side and everything. But again, Ethan Hawke did a great job with that. I think that one of the other surprising things about this show for me is um, just some of the things that they were uh, handling and the issues and topics that they were um, covering and a lot of different things in terms of, um, you know, again, disassociated identity disorder, but also the, you know, the topics of trust and, you know, the nature of good and evil Um, but they seem like they touch on a wide range of um, themes that was really interesting that, you know, some of the things we've seen in the MCU before, but other things I think was just a, you know, nice little different perspective on some of those things as well, too. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Layla's character, which Mm -hmm. I think from the comics that I read, I think Layla was supposed to be a portrayal of somebody else. I'm not quite sure, but um, by any means, you know, I always, this is not a surprise to anybody that knows me, but I always treat the MCU as its own comic book universe. And that if they stray away from what's written in the comics, I think that's totally fine. And that they should do that um, because they need to tell a original story. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of just recreating something that's, you know, panel by panel from the comics and everything. So I don't know if this is a brand new character or if this is why I just haven't read before or anything like that. Um, But it seems like it's very similar to, I think that her name is uh, Maureen and, in the okay. comics, um, with with the same kind of backstory and everything like that, but I think they did a fantastic job with um, with her character as well too, and and kind of bringing her role in that is not what we usually see for a female character who is in that sort of relationship. Um, you know, she's married to Mark, right? And so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of being able to show that they're in a partnership and relationship, but that she's still a very independent person and that. You know, I I wouldn't have been able to tell that, you know, they've had a prior relationship in the whole movie. Oh, I'm sorry, in the whole series, you know, just because they were really focused on who she was as a person, as opposed to who she was in relation to Mark. And so I really enjoyed that part. Um, The things I was left wanting, I think, I think after watching this show, one of the things I think I just realized that Marvel is going to have a particular challenge with in the future is that they're not going to be able to pull a whole lot of, you know, surprise twists um, with pulling in characters that are from the source material from the comics, because Mm -hmm. with this show, you know, they started with, with Steven, which, you know, from the comics, they usually start with Mark as the main character. And so when we get into episode five with the plot twist and everything like that, I think, you know, I, again, I never read the comics until the show came out and I only read, you know, 13 issues and, I kind of knew where it was going. So the the twist that they had in episode five wasn't really surprising. And I wonder if that's going to be a challenge for them is to introduce like new twists that won't also alienate the fan base of that character who, you know, you, you can make changes and people will be forgiving. It just depends on how much and what you're changing as well too. Um, and so I think that's a really tough line for them to balance, to be able to, Make to tell a unique story by changing things up a little bit without getting too far away from the parts about the character that people love. So, I think that that twist wasn't really surprising because they couldn't really go a different way. Otherwise, you know, for the people that absolutely love Moon Knight as a character, I can see them, you know, not being happy with how they may have changed it up. So,
0: yeah, I think you're right. It it kind of creates a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation in that I'm even thinking ahead to the post-credit scene at the end of the finale and mm-hmm. all along people who were familiar with the comics were speculating that that third identity might be introduced at some point during the show and you have to imagine mm-hmm. that some fans and and podcasters like us uh, may have been disappointed if that character didn't show up and yet mm-hmm. then also it's not as much of a surprise for folks who are having these conversations than when he does show up. So it becomes maybe more about um, the how the the this character or the twist or whatever it is that comics fans might be anticipating how it's integrated mm-hmm. as opposed to whether it'll be integrated. Um, but mm-hmm. I definitely think that you are speaking to one of the one of the big challenges uh, for this current era that we're in in the MCU. And mm-hmm. I also am curious to hear your take on: do you think that this show benefited from, was hurt by, or neither uh, by the fact that it is not really integrated, at least not yet, into the larger MCU? It is largely standalone.
1: Right. Yeah. So I think, to be honest, I think this was a really good experiment for Marvel because this is the first time that we've had a property that, um, is brand new to the MCU in a Disney Plus series, that is also just like what you said. It's a standalone. Um, it's a standalone event for the MCU, and it, so I will say that I think, for better or for worse, it was actually um, they actually benefited from this because if it didn't pay off for them, then they've learned something from this experience, right? But if it does right. pay off for them, then You know, they have some opportunities to bring Moon Knight into another season or to another, maybe another Disney Plus series that might come out later on um, or another movie or something like that. And so I think it really benefited for them to experiment with this um, and to see how this goes. And I know we're going to have two more shows, at least, that's going to do this with Miss Marvel and Mm -hmm. She-Hulk. And Echo is going to be another one that comes out next year. Um, Although she's already been kind of introduced from the Hawkeye series. So hers is a little bit different in terms of of everything else. But She-Hulk and Miss Marvel and and Moon Knight are all going to be unique properties that are first being introduced with this. And so I think um, this is the first series that we had very little overlap with the broader MCU. So we didn't get any cameos. We got a couple of mentions of things in the MCU, like uh, from Black Panther. Um, but by and large, it was by its, it was its own thing, and I remember asking myself, "Am I enjoying the show because it's a really good show? Or am I enjoying the show because it's under the Marvel banner?" I think the answer is both, because if it wasn't for the Marvel banner, I don't know if I would have actually given the show a shot. Because I think <laughs> if it was something that was you know brand new, like an NBC show that. There's no um, prior connection or bigger universe that it had. And this is like where they started off with. I think there would just been a lot of confusion True. in terms of what's happened, what's happening. But at the same time, um, I think it was well done in terms of storytelling and um, have a nice balance of drama and action and, and comedy and things like that. I think it still worked well. So I think this is a really good experiment that I think it does pay off for them in the end and that. Whether it wasn't successful, they still learned something from this experience, Um, but if it is successful, then, you know, they have a lot of room to go with, but I think it was nice to be able to enjoy a show for what it is, and it's not going to get overshadowed by a character coming in from the MCU, um, which you know, Hawkeye, we had that with Kingpin because that's what everybody was talking about. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I think everybody loved Kate Bishop, but we already knew Clint Barton, um, and the backstory and everything like that, that that worked out really well and that it didn't really overshadow it. It's just more of a complimented. Whereas I think if we brought in any other MCU character into the show, into Moon Knight, it would have been eclipsed by that, pun intended, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, it would have been eclipsed by that. So I think they it, it worked out well for them because they had they had something to gain no matter what direction it went with that. So,
0: Yeah, I think that's a really astute point. And I can't help but ask you, I know when you were on the 2021 Year in Review episode, you were speaking about not necessarily always uh, being the biggest fan of doing rankings. And so I won't ask you to rank the the series, but I am curious (laughs) to hear where Moon Knight would fall for you. Is this one that kind of stands in its own category because it's more standalone or is it one that mm-hmm. you can easily say rises above uh some of the other series for you or it doesn't quite reach that level for you
1: yeah i i think for me it's it's somewhere in the middle generally mm-hmm. um there are definitely some things that i think rises above other shows that it accomplished but i think you know overall as a show as a whole it's definitely more in the middle um for me I, I will say that i wasn't a big fan of the what if series not that it was it was bad necessarily i think it was actually done pretty well for um for the animation and for the series and all that it just didn't really resonate for me so it was, it was yeah, more of weird. i wasn't a fan of it because it just wasn't something that i enjoyed and not necessarily because i thought it was a bad show or anything like that mm-hmm. um same thing with with loki actually i I I felt like Loki was dragging a little bit for me. Um, And so I didn't enjoy it as much. Like, I I just thought that it probably could have been a movie as opposed to a six hour show. And so I think Moon Knight, you know, definitely fits around the middle there. It's probably right on par with with WandaVision for me. Because for me, it's, and this is no surprise for you, but Mm -hmm. Hawkeye has been my favorite show so far, you know, because of what they've done in the show, but also what it meant for me. Um, you know, behind the show. And then I think the Falcon and Winter Soldier I absolutely love as well too because of the social commentary that I think our country needed to have at that point in time. And I think they did a fantastic job of of incorporating that into the show. And so WandaVision um, was my favorite up until Hawkeye at that Mm -hmm. point. Like it was kind of tied with the Falcon and Winter Soldier um, until Hawkeye came around. But WandaVision was a fantastic show in the sense that it did something completely different. I think it paid off with them at the end and and they did a really good balancing act with that and everything. So I think WandaVision and Moon Knight is kind of tied for that, um, for that ranking for me. So it's it's not at the bottom, but it's still not at the top. I think it's at the middle for me overall so far.
0: Cool. Yeah. Nothing has dethroned WandaVision for me. It was the the first series that <laughs> came out and still remains my favorite. And and Hawkeye is a close second favorite for me. And I'd say that. Like you, I uh I I've enjoyed the rest of them and Moon Knight if I was forced to rank it, I don't really know what I would do if I'd put it on par with <laughs> or or just above or just below Loki at this moment. Might need to mm-hmm. revisit Loki to to uh reflect on that. Oh, and then Falcon as well. It's tough, actually. I haven't really yeah. thought this through. But it is <laughs> difficult because um The reason why I have such a soft spot for, let's say, Falcon and Winter Soldier is because it was just so satisfying to see Sam and Bucky and dig into those characters more in the series format after having Mm -hmm. already had a relationship with those characters. And so there was something really fulfilling about seeing that series. Whereas with Mm -hmm. Moon Knight, as you said, it's this new introduction. And believe me, I really, really loved the introduction of this character in episode one. And Mm -hmm. then after that point, I had a lot of questions as we were moving through the season. And well, Mm -hmm. today we'll talk about episodes five and six. So before Mm -hmm. we get into that, though, I do want to take a moment to share some listener comments. And today I just wanted to highlight a comment coming from Brandy on Twitter, who actually sent in a video. Thank you so much, Brandy. Brandy has written into the show a couple of times. And in this video, Brandy commented on... The conversation that I had with Daniel about episodes three and four and talked about the dynamics between Stephen and Mark, which is definitely something that we'll talk more about today, me and you, Sean. And Brandy was saying that Stephen – Brandy's noticing the ways in which Stephen belittles or talks down to Mark, calling him a liar, constantly reminding him he is a killer – And doesn't acknowledge that that was coming out of a place of protection and doesn't have that trust for Mark. So Brandy wanted to throw that into the conversation that Daniel and I were having about how Mark kind of um, didn't necessarily express appreciation for Stephen in the previous episodes, but that Stephen also had this tense relationship back with Mark. And so we're certainly going to see how that evolves in episodes five and six. So... Thinking back to now we are talking about these two episodes together. So watching episode five, there were a lot of questions that were raised beforehand going into the finale that we're not going to pretend like we don't have knowledge of the finale when we discuss episode five. But Mm -hmm. if you can kind of uh, think back to seeing episode five, what were some of your general thoughts and reactions to that episode?
1: Yeah, so I will say that episode five was um, a very interesting penultimate episode because it captures a lot of different things in that one episode that I think most of us may not think through initially when we first watched the episode. And so one of them is being, this is one of the first times that... I mean, they introduced this in episode four, technically, but we kind of see this expand out a little bit more in episode five with the different realities that yeah. Mark and Stephen was listening or was living in between being in the uh, mental institution and being on the on uh, uh, ship, um, and kind of going back and forth and giving that experience of which one is reality and which one isn't, because you know they kept flipping and it's it's not clear which one it is at this point, right? And I think we all had our had our suspicions, but they did a very good job making it clear that it's very murky, and that's very similar to what we saw in the comics as well, too, and I think that's a reflection of of um, what it might be like for somebody with disassociative identity disorder, and that's definitely, you know, some of the perception that we got in episode one with Steven, when he would wake up, and had no idea what just happened basically. And so um, I think they did a really interesting job with that. I think there's been a lot of discussions about how episode five tends to be what people call a filler episode. And this one, I feel like um, wasn't really, didn't really fit into that mold because this is one of the first shows that we've got that we didn't start off with the origin of the person or the character. So episode one, we're just kind of thrown into the fact that Steven has this other personality and that it's Moon Knight. And you know, Moon Knight's been a person for a while, basically. And it's it's uh, kind of reminiscent of Captain Marvel a little bit, but it just kind of jumps you right into here is where we're at, and we're not going to really expand on how he became Moon Knight. And so this episode really expands on you know, kind of giving you that origin story but it's more of like filling in the gaps that we haven't seen yet and still move the story forward so it wasn't one of those things where it filled in just for the sake of filling in time but it allows you to see who they are um, what happened and what brought them to this and with the whole idea that they had to balance their souls with um, the scales of the uh, scales of justice I think is what it's called mm-hmm. um, and so I, I think it Brought a lot of interesting perspectives and probably one of the most interesting episodes in the series as well, too. And I think what was really interesting as well is this is the first time that we saw um, Mark's history or I'm sorry, this is one of the first times that we saw Mark um, Jewish faith being played out, which we got a glimpse of that very quickly in episode two, where he's wearing the star David when he wakes up in the room in Egypt. Um, and they incorporated here, but I will say this in that, um, I, again, I don't know much about the character and I don't know, um, I don't know much about his Jewish faith and how central it was to the character. And again, as I've said before, I'm okay with them making changes for the Marvel cinematic universe. I think what was really confusing for me is I know one of the writers of the show, it was either the writer or the director. I can't remember which one it was, but they had said that. Um, fans of Moon Knight will be happy with how they treated his faith in the show. And I watched this episode and I got to be honest, like I I don't know where they're coming from with that. Uh, Unless their bar was, they mentioned it, which is what they did. (laughs) Because it's one of those things where, yes, you saw, you know, some of the Jewish aspects in there with the funeral and the mother Mm -hmm. Shiva and all that. And, Um, but it's one of those things where it was more of kind of sprinkled in there as opposed to being a core part of the experience. And so the question got asked is if you took that away, would that have changed the story at all? And, And the answer is pretty much no, unless they, you know, like had expanded it more. But, um, I think it's one of those things where like on surface, it probably wouldn't be a big deal, but I think the fact that somebody from the writing, um, the head writer or the director has said that you know fans will be really happy with how they treat it. It's like I I, I think you kind of missed that on on that level because it's because if you think that you did something really unique with the person's identity as being Jewish in the series, I think they've they've you know missed completely because it was something that seemed like it was more of an afterthought that they in- integrated into this, um, especially with the fact that they changed uh, Mark's uh, origin story with how he got his disassociative identity disorder mm-hmm. and the whole background about how um, one of their family friends was, um, you know, portraying to be a Jewish rabbi and you find out he was actually a Nazi sympathizer and he, he oh, was wow. killing Jews and things like that. And so it, it completely changed where that origin is. So they swap out that with uh, a mom who blamed him for his brother's death and, you know, physically abused him and stuff like that. I I, I wasn't quite sure what the rationale was for the switch and everything. And so, like I said, usually I'm, I'm not um, bothered when they make changes like that. But I think in this aspect, the, the fact that they mentioned that they think they did a good job of this, I, I just don't see it from their point of view, to be honest. So, um, so yeah, so I, so that was kind of a broad stroke with that. But I think, you know, this was really interesting that it has a lot of layers to it. And I think there's, you know, some things that did a really fantastic job with. And I think, you know, that was one instance where, um that was kind of left to be desired so
0: really interesting i wasn't aware of the comments that were that were made by the by the writer or the director about that and having not read the comic i didn't know that his origin or the origin of his did was somehow uh, related to that in the comics that's that's really fascinating yeah mm-hmm. for me as as a viewer who was unaware of either of those things i I took in those little details of, you know, his wearing the yamaka and the Shiva and things like that as um, mm-hmm. ways to flesh out the character a little bit more in subtle ways that are not necessarily talked about, but give us like a fuller glimpse of of who this person is and who his family is. So I was taking mm-hmm. it from a totally different perspective, not realizing that in the comics, it actually was more of a central part to the story. And to your point in the show, it was um, it was more of, you know, Dressing, I I suppose, uh, to to the the landscape in a way. So interesting stuff. But you you commented on so much related to episode five, and and one of the things that that also resonated with me in terms of how creative and unique this episode really is is that kind of putting the origin of the the superhuman aspects of this character, the the birth of Moon Knight, so to speak, in episode five is certainly unique. Yeah, I, I think to me in in terms of emotional weight and thematic resonance this is absolutely the the strongest episode of the series in my opinion Mm -hmm. and stands among some of the strongest of the mcu series reminds me a lot of wandavision's penultimate episode previously on when agatha talks about how the only way forward is back and we kind of see that thematically here as well for mark and steven and Mm -hmm. um all that being said though as as strong as this episode is to me, it's not. Um, it doesn't feel as rewatchable or as enjoyable, even because it really is uh, so heavy and, and dark, and deals with um, deals with things that are are just really tough to watch and and tough to to think about in many ways. And that doesn't bother me. I appreciate that they are uh, taking the swings to depict that fullness of of mm-hmm. human experience, including the trauma and including the the uh some of the unspeakable things that that occur in this person's life but um when thinking about an episode that stands out and thinking about episodes that would be my favorite this is one that i really appreciate and respect and think it was beautifully done and creative but is also also tough for me to revisit
1: yes i agree well and, and you know being a pair myself it was really hard to watch and just like what you said, it it was it was very emotionally driven, and I think um, well done in terms of being able to capture that part of the um, character's identity mm-hmm. um, without you know kind of leaning in it too much. Because I mean, we we kind of picked up the pieces in terms of that one scene where we saw you know the creation of of Stephen, or, or the first time that Steven appears, you know, in, in Mark's life and everything like that um, when that happened. And so, you know, they didn't really harp onto the abuse that much or mm-hmm. at least the physical abuse that much. I mean, you saw the other stuff as well too. Um, but I mean, I, you know, just as a parent, you hate seeing that happen to kids and everything like that. So it's one of those things where it's like, I agree. It was a very emotionally driven and very well done episode That's probably one. I'm not going to see <laughs> again for that reason. So. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk in a few minutes about some standout moments from that episode in conjunction with the finale, and we'll talk a little bit more about the thematic stuff. But before we get to that, let's look at the finale then. So we went from episode five, Asylum, into episode six, Gods and Monsters. This Mm -hmm. one, for me, this finale, I didn't think, in terms of the creativity, in terms of the emotional resonance, in terms of the themes, I didn't think that the finale... Uh, is as strong as the penultimate episode which has been the Mm -hmm. case for a lot of the Disney plus shows I think but I did Mm -hmm. think that this was a satisfying ending for the for the season for the series probably the season we'll talk about it I like where it (laughs) leaves us it wrapped up it wrapped up nicely a lot of the arcs that we did see introduced in this season but it also leaves Mm -hmm. doors wide open for the future so what did you think of Mm -hmm. the finale
1: yeah, I, I agree. I think there's something about episode six that Marvel still hasn't quite hit its stride with in terms of um, making episode and the final episode of the season being almost like a rush episode where it's like, okay, right. now we just kind of, you know, wrap everything up in this, you know, 45, 50 minute episode, basically. And and I, I didn't feel like it was rushed as nearly as much as some of the other ones. Um, I think it still worked out well. A little bit, but I still had that feeling of, okay, you know, now they have to get back to Earth and they have to get message out to um, to Layla, which, by the way, I love the interaction between Layla and Talweta in in this episode because it was just it was just hysterical, especially again, the actress. I forget the actress's name, but she did a fantastic job of going Back and forth between Layla and Oliver. Yeah, she uh, did, didn't
0: she? May Kalamawi. Yeah. She did a great <laughs> job, especially yes. you know acting in in a series alongside Oscar Isaac, who is you know playing uh, multiple roles. Yeah, I th- I thought she was mm-hmm. really good.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. She she nailed it really well with and and especially you know from an actor's point of view, you don't know what it what the character looks like when they haven't done the CGI when you when you um go and act those scenes out right and and first of all she's not in any of those scenes and so somebody had to probably describe to her what her character is like and everything and so for her to be able to capture that very well without any idea or visuals of how it's going to look like in the show is this is mind-blowing so i think it just it speaks volumes of how she's able to really capture something um and and maybe they use some of what she's done as part of the creation of Talweta when they were doing the post-production and all that, but still, it was just really well done overall. But, I'm um, sure. but yeah, I mean, so, you know, we went from, in one episode, Layla meets Talweta and then becomes her avatar. And so there was a lot of things I was kind of rushed with it, but I felt the pacing of it was still pretty good in the sense that it wasn't, it, it was spread out all over the place and that it wasn't crammed in. So I think they introduced some of those aspects early enough in the episode that didn't really feel rushed in later in the episode, if that makes sense. Um,
0: yeah, it does. I think that yeah. it's just, this was a show that it it would have benefited from more episodes, I think. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I do also think it wrapped up in a, in a satisfying way.
1: Right. Yeah, and I agree with you in, in terms of how they ended it. Is if they didn't do another season of Moon Knight, it still worked out well in that you know there's there's nothing really left hanging. Like, yeah, I think we want to see you know what happens now with uh with you know Jake being you know out of the bag mm-hmm. sort of sense, um, for the show, but at the same time, we don't really need to know that either. We just know like that's one of those things that just now is in the world, and, and Moon Knight will show up probably. In some form or fashion in another show or something like that so they don't do another season they'll probably show up um but i think they just like we said they wrapped that up nicely i think another thing that was really interesting is the fact that we had the you know the final fight scene where we don't get to see the main protagonist basically um you know, with the final blows to the antagonist, right? Because that was the scene where all of a sudden Mark or Steven, I forget who it was. I think it was probably Mark um, flash. And then the next thing he knows, he's, you know, Arthur is in his hands and he has like the, you know, the ax near his head and all that. And so you don't get to see like how that battle uh, played out. And I know some people have mixed feelings about that. What I'll say is I think it was still well done because it leaves that element of, mystery in terms of, okay, who is this third? That clearly this third person is a lot more present than what we realize. Um, but I think it's also, again, it's, it's experimental in the sense that, you know, do we need to see actually what happens in that thing as a, as a, as a viewer in terms of being satisfied with that ending. And, and I think um, it's frustrating for sure, because as somebody who loves action, you could probably want to see those final moments happening, and that you don't want to see a flip to that, but at the same time, I think it just it fits so well into the theme of the rest of the show. In that there's moments where they all of a sudden you know skip ahead, you know five, ten minutes, or two days, or whatnot, and don't know what's happening. And again, it goes back to trying to re. Um, trying to establish that experience of someone with this identity disorder may have. And again, this is just based on what I'm perceiving. I don't know much about the disorder, but I can imagine that this is probably a similar experience where, you know, they just missed out on something and, you know, there's no way of having that back. And so I think right. that frustration is a way to be empathetic or the audience to be empathetic with, you know, this person that has this associated identity disorder, like we're experiencing that through them vicariously. And so I think it was a really interesting risk that they took. And I, I, I actually liked that. I'm somebody that I think, you know, I like to see different things and that was very different. And I think that will be something that will kind of stand out in the long run in terms of when they talk about final battle scenes or, or things in terms of cinematography and and editing choices and stuff like that. I think that'll be something that will definitely be brought up as an interesting choice that they, Decide to go in that direction.
0: Yeah, I agree. I really appreciate the way that you framed that because I hadn't fully considered it in that way. Like the moment is, is striking. Don't get me wrong, and I've enjoyed throughout this series those uh, little moments of what we don't see. Right? Sometimes there's more power, and there's uh, t- definitely more mystery, and uh, sometimes more resonance in what we don't see. But yeah, I, I like how you are pointing out how typically these Series or these third acts of of the films end with those final blows, or or in some cases lack thereof. But it's still an intentional right. moment that we see um, between protagonist and antagonist. So that is really interesting. I also really appreciate that you that you mentioned the term empathy because that's actually one of the the concepts that I was thinking about and this will be a good transition into our next section thinking about <laughs> the the big ideas the the overarching themes here for this series and specifically in episodes 5 and 6 I was thinking about what are what are some of the supporting concepts to this overarching identity story for for Stephen and Mark in this show, and I was thinking about empathy because I was thinking about shame, and I've also been reading a lot of uh, the work of Brene Brown, who writes a lot about shame and, and vulnerability, and mm-hmm. she writes about how the opposite of experiencing shame is experiencing empathy, and I thought that was really interesting because both episode episode five specifically, I would say, brings up a lot with regard to this shame that mark has and Mm -hmm. then we see the he's he's kind of closed himself off to making that vulnerable connection with steven uh which really you know this other aspect of of himself and then he he really in experiencing that empathy he gets to experience that connection and overcome some of his shame so to me that was also tied really nicely into the phase four theme of trauma and facing it and learning to face oneself and and really learning to accept and embrace oneself. What what were you mm. thinking with regards to some of the themes and concepts that are present in the show and in these episodes?
1: Yeah. So I think um, one of the major themes that appeared in um, the show is definitely, you know, the theme of of trust and mm-hmm. the lack thereof as well too, right? So um, and for you know, for better or for worse, they you know did not trust Kanshu to you know keep his word or, or anything like that. <laughs> like that. Um, you know, both Mark, Stephen, and uh, Layla, and even Arthur, who said you know he's always going to say there's one more mission and it never ends and all that, yeah. Um, and so there's definitely a lack of trust, but they definitely trust Kanshu enough to be able to rely on the powers that come through and stuff like that. And I think, um Mark and Steven had to learn to trust each other a little bit as well, too, that developed throughout the rest of the show in the, in the sense that I think what was fantastic is um, when Steven finds out about Mark, clearly he never knew about Mark before, but Mark's known about Steven, you know, for so long that that could be a jarring moment. And, and he had to pretty much trust Mark in situations to, um, you know either get them out of trouble or you know to save their lives and stuff like that but you know to find out that there's been this other entity that you've been living with and to ask you know ask them to trust them you know based on you know what they're telling you without knowing anything about you know what's going on and you don't know what's going on with yourself and everything like that i think you know is another element of of that thing that pops up as well too and and what i really like what they portrayed here is they really did that with the with the scales of justice um, with that as well too, because I don't know if you noticed this in episode six, and this is probably one of my you know, favorite moments from episode six, but whenever Mark and Steven switch places, there's always that kind of blackout moment that you see with the character kind of roll their eyes, you know, back to the back of their head. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the frames kind of uh, black out a little bit. Um, to emulate that, but in episode six, when he's back into the mental institution with Dr. Harrow, they went back and forth between Mark and Steven without doing that.
0: Yes. yes. And
1: so there's, there is more harmony with that as they go through. And I think part of that has to do with they trust each other to be able to do that without the you know sensation of one has to take over. But now they're, you know, in harmony with, with all those things as Great well, too. Time. And so I really love that little detail of like now they're not doing that anymore. They're just switching back and forth, which again, Oscar Isaac doing that is fantastic. Um, but I think it was like a very cool and subtle way to be able to show that character development by the end of the series that that they no longer have to do that. They can just, you know, simply switch back and forth with that. So
0: I love that connection. I guess one other thought that I had specifically related to episode 5 and this connection between Mark and Steven and these breaking down the barriers that as you said is depicted so cleverly through through those transitions getting smoother is the the title of of episode 5 asylum this idea of yes mm-hmm. met, much of it takes place in what looks to be a an institutional asylum uh, mm-hmm. The organizing organizing principle of, um, you know, Mark's processing uh, <laughs> right. of, of what's going on, but also mm-hmm. the concept of asylum as shelter, as protection from danger and, and the ways in which Stephen provided asylum for Mark, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in childhood and, and beyond and how mm-hmm. Mark uh, also thinks that he he takes on a role of wanting to and needing to protect stephen and he even talks about that in the finale as well when he says i couldn't protect you it's this additional source of of shame for him um mm-hmm. Stephen was his his self-protection right the armor that he built up uh as not to to have to to face that trauma so i liked that that conceptual connection as well
1: mm-hmm Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's a, you know, that's a great point that I didn't really think about before um, in terms of, you know, that frame of protection um, or that theme of protection that you just said, because just everything that you said, you know, we start off with the show thinking that Mark is Steven's protector. Then, you know, that was that kind of, um, you know, quote unquote twist at the end is Mm -hmm. that Steven was created as for protection for Mark. And so it's, there's different, kinds of and levels of protection right as in there um and so i think that was really that was that's a really interesting way to be able to flip that traditional notion and, and kind of having that play on on words and and themes and ideas for that as well too so um but yeah and and, and one other thing to mention is um i really enjoy the fact that they're trying to find opportunities to bring in different ways to represent different um characters for different um people and so yeah. in in episode six I, I will say this is that i really enjoyed the fact that layla came in and saved the family from that van with the mm-hmm. and saved the little girl first and then saved the the van and then that little girl has somebody to look up to and you know she she said you know are you an Egyptian hero yeah. which I I I love that the one thing that I find interesting is, is that choice of words. You know, it, it, it's definitely those. Those choice of words are definitely framed specifically for the show. Because I was thinking about that, and it's like, you know, if if somebody was in Egypt and they're an Egyptian and they see another Egyptian, you know, being that way, are they going to say, "Are you an Egyptian hero"? Great point. Um. Yeah. You know, like they're they probably not going to say that. They're just going to say, "Are you a superhero?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But. I think, and I'll be honest, Like I, I guess I didn't really think about how Layla was Egyptian. You know, probably just I wasn't paying attention to that part. But maybe I don't, I'm not sure. But when she said Egyptian hero, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's pretty cool that we have an Egyptian hero in this story. And I think that little, you know, just that one word kind of helps contextualize a little bit in terms of now we have another, you know, hero that is, you know, another African hero that is Egyptian, um, for, uh, you know, someone of that nationality and, and come from um, whose heritage is kind of rooted in that and everything like that. And so I think what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is trying to accomplish is make it truly universal in those little acts. And so even if we don't get Layla as the Scarlet Scarab anymore, it has that potential impact to allow people to see themselves and heroes without having to kind of deconstruct and see themselves In somebody else that may not share their same heritage or identity and then trying to make it, you know, know, fit within that sort of narrative. And so I think it's really cool that they're trying to do these different things. and, And the fact that this is specifically a nationality that they're establishing here, I think is just really cool that they're experimenting with those and trying to make it universal for everybody. And that is not just you know, American superheroes now, but we've, we know we've had, you know, superheroes from other countries and stuff like that for sure. But to explicitly, you know, call that out, I think has been really neat to see on the screen. And I know for my son who is, you know, a, a white male, I love the fact that he is seeing different superheroes from, you know, different origins of different countries and skin colors and things like that. And, his favorite superhero right now is miles Morales. And I love the fact that he is looking up to people mm-hmm. that, that um, we probably didn't ha- I know that I didn't have that many people of color, you know, as superheroes growing up to look at, to look up as heroes. And so I love the fact that he is going to be able to experience that and be able to have that universe as part of his upbringing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I agree with you in, with some of the hokeyness of, or, or lack of, complete authenticity and the little girl specifically saying egyptian superhero um, right. but that was very much i think to your point something that was more a um a comment directly to to audiences uh mm-hmm. and whatever hokiness that line may have had i mean you can't understate the importance of how visibility and representation means so much to so many people. And I was listening to an interview with Muhammad Diab, one of the directors for the show, and he was just Mm -hmm. talking about how this has been such a big deal in Egypt um, for people Mm -hmm. there to have this representation in an MCU show and the MCU being one of the most, popular franchises in the world so that's that's mm-hmm. always very very cool Other so we talked about quite a few already in this discussion <laughs> but thinking about those last two episodes episodes five and six any other stand out moments pieces of dialogue character moments uh, visuals anything mm-hmm. that we haven't touched on I mean there's definitely a lot but anything that specifically stands out to you
1: There are two other things I think we haven't touched on that I wanted to bring up. Um, One of them is, you know, we talked about Talweta in the show, but I just, I absolutely love her character. And um, I love the details that the visual effects artist put in there. Cause as I was watching her in the show, her ears would, um, would flip like a, hippopotamus ear would you know and so and and there would be moments where just kind of doing it naturally and so i love that level of detail that they put in there but the character herself was just fantastic in that she was really you know fun and funny and caring and and definitely embodies i think the spirit of uh that goddess because she was the goddess of women and childbirth and she really i think resonated with those kinds of themes with her as a character um and again just (laughs) the the Anytime that she was talking to Layla through, you know, Layla herself or through the the dead bodies that are on the ground, I think was just hysterical. So I absolutely love that character, and I really hope that you know, if we see Moon Knight again, that we definitely see Layla and Talweta and and the future of the MCU as well too. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting is that there was a lot of discussion in Episode Five about how we probably saw. Jake Lockley in one mm. of the scenes when he came back and he was telling Arthur that he's not a real doctor. Um, and I think it's interesting because when we see Jake at the end, he's talking, um, he's talking in Spanish and he and it doesn't seem like he has that New York accent at that point. And so there's been a lot of discussion about so what does that mean now? Like, you know, was that actually Mark in that moment in episode five, or was it Jake, you know, using a different accent or could it be a fourth identity that we haven't seen altogether, uh, which is, you know, very possible. But I think, again, the fact that um, Oscar Isaac's performance with that scene in and of itself is that that was clearly not a character we saw, but it was still subtle enough that you as a viewer like something's off about this, but you couldn't right. quite put it because you thought it was Mark and you had to kind of watch it again to really pick up on the fact that actually this isn't really mark talking um again just the the great performance that oscar isaac gives here um i think just speaks the level of his abilities and being able to portray that and i think you know it's hard to find anybody else that would be able to really nail this character down um, and perform it in such a way that oscar isaac did but i think it's really interesting to see what that Easter egg or what that little subtle hint might mean for us in the future. And how does it connect to Jake Lockley? Is it the same person or is it a completely different person or what that is? And and to be honest, the MCU Marvel studios is comfortable with leaving questions unanswered. I mean, there's so yes. many questions unanswered in MCU and, and it's kind of like the comics where, you know, they're not going to answer every question and that's totally fine. And, and part of that is they want you as the, viewer and the and the reader and the audience to be able to fill in those details for yourself because that's what entertainment is all about is to be able to you know live in that world yourself and kind of come up with those details um you know as an imagination um, as your imagination takes you with that so but yeah I thought that was a really interesting um, aspect that they put in there and I think it's again it's just um, just kudos to Oscar Isaac with his performance of being able to do such a great job with just that scene given, you know, everything he's done with Steven and Mark so far.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And those those uh, subtle nuances in his performance are absolutely the kind of thing that are going to leave people guessing and asking questions. And to your point, that's, uh, that's part of why we love this. Mm-hmm. Another scene in episode five that stood out to me was, of course, the scene in which we get that birth of, of Moon Knight, like the superhero origin aspect that you already mentioned. And mm-hmm. what I really liked about that scene was that we're seeing – this memory what i like about the show in general is that we didn't really get flashbacks in a traditional sort of way because we got to revisit mark's memories through steven and steven has always kind of been our pov character as the audience and so for steven to be there witnessing Mm conchu um conchu's Pitch to Mark, I suppose you could say, and right. for Stephen to be commenting on it and saying, "Wow, he was manipulating you; he was taking advantage of you." I thought that was mm-hmm. really powerful to see that perspective on it. You know, Mark at his at his lowest, you know, almost dying here, you know, wishing that that he were dead in many ways, and to to see how Mark viewed that event, I thought was really powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, And you are right. I, I like the fact that Stephen is our. Um is our pathway into that world of being able to experience that world through his eyes? I, yeah. you know that was a really great touch. and and I gotta say, you know from a story perspective, like we said in you know, in the comics, Mark was usually the main protagonist, and then Stephen and Jake comes out. The way they flipped this, I think made a lot of sense because one, that's a great way to tell the story that leaves some sort of mystery for the viewer as opposed to, i think if they tried to start it with mark's point of view i think it'd be a completely different show and, and i don't know if it'd be as successful as mm-hmm. how this has been done um but i think what's really interesting is that steven in the comics is supposed to be this millionaire and and you know i don't know how but he does have a lot of money but what's interesting is that in this show it, that's not the case it's almost like his um whole persona is, is different from what we've seen Um, In the comics. And I think it still worked out well because one, it makes sense because, you know, how do you explain that he's a a millionaire if he is um, an an identity that um, hasn't been in play for a long time? Right. Um, And so, kind of, you know, trying to, I think, rationalize with that a little bit. But I think it was a really cool viewpoint to be able to tell it from that story of somebody who works at, you know, Stephen Grant of the gift shop as. As Arthur kept calling him, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that was a really cool approach that they did with the with the storytelling aspect with that as well, too. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree.
0: A couple of rapid fire things that I haven't had the opportunity to say yet this season on the podcast and feel free to jump in with some of your own. Um, You Mm -hmm. already mentioned Ethan Hawke's performance. I thought he was Mm -hmm. fantastic in this show. And he's also got some great lines. Like it struck me on my my second watch of the finale when he says, I don't need to show you my papers. You need to show us your soul. And it's like (laughs) it's so comic book in the best way. And he just delivers it so well um the character design for Amit and for and for Khonshu I thought the character designs were really cool and and uh Tawaret as well as you were saying really expressive and unique and just in my opinion really cool looking CGI creations um when we see the giant battle between Amit and Khonshu in the in the finale I thought Mm -hmm. that was pretty pretty cool to see and Amit genuinely freaked me out like character design for her um so Mm -hmm. i liked that a lot too and then of course oh of course listen the the cheesy sweet line you're the only real superpower i ever had that got me yeah (laughs) really sweet
1: yeah oh yeah yeah you know the you're right The, the character designs i think was really neat in, uh, for and for conscious and ahmed and Talreda because I think you know we we don't get to see them personified in in media as much right. And I think they did a great job of being able to do that here on film um because one they you know with visual effects, you know they have a lot of um freedom to be able to do a lot of different things. So being able to have that, you know, final battle between Konshu and, and Amit and, you know, I, I call it the, the power ranger scene where, you <laughs> yeah. know, that's what happens all the time is, you know, the Dale sell this with, you know, just their fighting skills. They have to get the Zords in every single time. Right. And so this is kind of what happened here is, um, you know, they enlarge and they start fighting and everything. But I think um, it was really interesting. I think, you know, the visual effects artists must have had a lot of fun with this as well, too. Um, and, being able to do that, but you're right. Like Amit was really fascinating for me because we only saw her in the final episode. I felt like I could watch more of her on screen because when she first interacted with Arthur, she seemed very, calm and poised and mm-hmm. not at all the kind of ruthless character that constantly described her to be Great point. until later on. But I think it was just really neat how they were able to capture that and allow her to have her own kind of, not necessarily character development, but character reveal throughout that one episode that was really interesting to watch that I would, I would love to see more of, um, you know, maybe like a mini series or one shot that Marvel has been putting out with the Egyptian gods and kind of seeing them, you know, interact with each other, you know, way back at the, at the, at the, what's the word I'm looking for? The the
0: Ennead or? Uh,
1: yeah, the Ennead, but the, um, you know, the high, the high point of Egyptian. Oh, um,
0: I see what you mean.
1: Yeah. Um, gosh, there's a word I'm looking for and it's escaping me right now. But, you know, when. Um, you know, around the time where they're making the pyramids and stuff like that, because that was the the height of the Egyptian yes. rule with the pharaohs and stuff like that. I think it'd be really cool for them to do a story with the Ennead um, around that time. And just to be able to tell that story, I think it'd be really interesting for them to do. But I, I agree. I, I think those character designs were really fantastic because I think they're really interesting on so many levels.
0: I totally agree. And I would absolutely be in f- for seeing more of, of those mm-hmm. characters on screen. But thinking mm-hmm. about our hero here, Moon Knight, thinking about Mark, Steven. We talked about the post credit scene with Jake Lockley, but where we leave off with Mark, right? It's Mark who asks Stephen, are you here? When he wakes up in the apartment and we see he's still got the ankle bracelet on. Um, Mm -hmm. That was an interesting ending to, to the, to the show. What do you think might be next for Moon Knight in the MCU? Yeah.
1: You know, um, that is a great question and I know there's still speculations about if they're doing a season 2 or not mm-hmm. with Moon Knight. And I'm not entirely sure. I I think at minimum we'll definitely see him show up in a different movie or show. Right. Um and I and to be honest, um you know because of how Marvel properties tend to have you know if if you have like, you know, more than five like major characters in a movie you you tend to kind of shrink down some of the other characters who aren't as pivotal to um the movie or the story and that i think moon knight will probably fit into that unless they do something like midnight suns i've been hearing or something along the lines of you know the um mythologies of marvel so bringing moon knight and teaming up with um, Thor and, um, you know, Black Panther and, and, you know, something along those lines. I think he might have a more, um, prominent role with that, but my guess is he'll probably show up in a show or a movie where he'll appear as Moon Knight and maybe as Mark and Steven. And we'll probably get that little, um, you know, drop with those two characters and stuff like that. But I, I would be surprised if we get a lot more, of here's what's been going on and we've seen that it's probably going to be more of like telling rather than showing in that aspect. Mm. Um, But my guess is we'll probably see more of Moon Knight than we will of Mark and Steven, at least in the foreseeable future. Now, if we get a second season, obviously that's going to be completely different. right? Um, Honestly, I think they're going to probably wait and see, you know, what happens at the end of this year before they make any real, um, commitments to a second season of Moon Knight. Cause my guess is they probably, these are big budget shows and they probably don't want to commit to doing a second season for every property that they have. And so they're probably going to see where people resonate with the most and where the story will kind of lead them to. And I think Moon Knight is one of those shows where it, it can sit by itself and they don't have to touch it. And, and it's good right now, basically, like we don't have to really see Moon Knight. In the future. I, I think they'll definitely bring in Moon Knight, but they're not bound to do it um for the show and for the character because of the way they kind of wrapped it up here. So um so if we don't get a second season, I think we'll still see Moon Knight show up somewhere, but I think it's gonna be more Moon Knight than Mark and Steven.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. And there's the part of me that would love to see this pick up right where we left off and continue that Mark and Steven story and see how uh how they might deal with the knowledge of uh, uncovering the knowledge of jake i mean we have this mm-hmm. balancing of the scales and this embracing of mark and Stephen together but then mm-hmm. what what imbalance is is going to be created by that knowledge of jake so i would be in for it if they did a second season and were able to dive more into the psychology of the character even more than they have here but i think mm-hmm. you're absolutely correct sean that they left it in a place where it could go either way on a next season or not. And undoubtedly we're going to see Moon Knight in the MCU moving forward in some way or another. And Mm -hmm. I'm excited for that.
1: Yes, definitely. Well, and and just like we said, I think it will be interesting to see how, if they do bring Moon Knight in, how they kind of resolve that because, you know, we left it with Mark and Steven had said they're no longer Moon Knight with Kansu, but Kansu is obviously using Jake. And so, If they do bring them in, they they're probably going to have to explain it with a little bit of dialogue to say, you know, what happened. And and again, it might not be enough for people to be satisfied with, but my guess is they'll explain it something and said that, you know, yeah, we're still working things out and and just leave it at that.
0: (laughs) Well, I suppose we'll have to wait and see, but until then, where can people find out more about you and your work and read some of your work and listen to you in the podcast world?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, TK, thanks for having me on here. I like oh, thank told you, you before, I, I really enjoy your show. I think your podcast is really um, is a really interesting one. I enjoy listening to your episodes because you do bring a different level of discussion than like what our show does. Like we just love talking about it. And I think you bring in some really cool aspects thank of, you. you know, themes and, and the humanities, stuff like that. So I think yours is Yours is one of those where I can talk about the MCU in an intellectual way that I probably don't do on my show. Mine, I, I like to think I do it a little bit intellectually, but not to of the course. extent that you do. And I and I find it fascinating. So um, but for us, you can if you go to our website, thecapsendlife.com, and it's spelled uh T-H-E-C-A-P-T-I-O-N-E-D lif um it'll have all of our podcast episodes there it'll have all of our social media there um on the homepage, there will be a banner they can click on they'll take you to all my reviews i've written for comic watch for uh, tv and film um so if you go to that website it'll give you pretty much access to all of our stuff where we're located at for the show on on the different podcast platforms which we're on you know a lot of the major ones so if there's not one that we're on, I mean, feel free to let us know. We'll definitely get that submitted. Um, but we're on most of the major ones and, and we're on all the social media. We usually upload our episodes and do some special videos on YouTube as well, too. So, um, just go out to our website. You can find everything there.
0: Well, thank you so much again, Sean, for joining me to talk about Moon Knight. I'm looking forward to having more conversations with you about all things MCU in the future.
1: Same here. Thank you very much.
0: If you enjoyed this conversation about Moon Knight, you can follow the podcast at Idea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can check out some of Sean's written work at Comic Watch and listen to him on the Caption Life podcast. His links will be in the show notes. There you will also find links to the work of our podcast cover artist, Brooke Pender, and our music creator, Demeter Salvia. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. We are now entering another in-between period of MCU content. I have a couple of bonus episodes lined up. And of course, coming soon, a deep dive analysis into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness.